Few men in this world are as beloved and appreciated as our very own bishop. We thank God for him, for the contribution of Sister Rachel Cole and the many hours and many things that they have done all through the years. Praise God. And, of course, our Bishop Benny Cole. In my mind, it is the fact that he is going to speak tonight from his heart, however he wants to do it, that makes this the most special legacy service that we have ever had. Let's give Bishop a hand as he comes to minister to us. Praise God. All right. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, and you may be seated. As you notice, I have my notes in a notebook. That's bad news, isn't it? Having a notebook full of notes to be preached about. So you might better kick your shoes off, right. loosen your belt up a little bit, and just enjoy the service. That's right. That's right. But I am, and I mean this very sincerely when I say this, I don't take what I'm fixing to do lightly. I really don't. Brother Morell, it's so good to see you here. Brother Morell and the, some of the folks he's pastored indirectly or directly are connected to this, this very thing tonight that we're going to be talking about. And it's just a delight to see them with us. God bless them. And I guess their daughter? Or no, no. Oh, just a lady from the church. She's not her daughter. Okay, don't claim her. Okay. No, I, I, didn't, mean, I didn't mean to say that now. I didn't mean to say he didn't claim him. But um, it is good to, to think about and reminisce a little bit. I have... Uh, uh, we've had a sort of a catastrophe at our house after the little accident that, well, it wasn't a little accident, it was a death-taking accident that I had back about a, nine months ago. It sort of immobilized me. I can't, I can't write. And uh, I'm not making excuses. I'm just telling you facts. I can't write. And uh, I'm a, I'm a note-writing preacher. I can't do like some folks, just get up and preach and don't need any notes. I need notes on top of notes. So I didn't have any way to pen this. And then, lo and behold, that thing that all of us have, which I detest, computer, it went on a vacation and uh, we couldn't retrieve it. But, um, but anyway, uh, no excuses, no excuses. Just, um, I'm gonna need your help though. I really want you to help me. Yeah. This will be a little bit different from uh, how I have preached in times past. But anyway, it's gonna be from my heart. I wanna speak to you from my heart. 
because God's been good to all of us. Some of we that are here tonight are miracles. All right, that's right. I said some of we that are here tonight are miracles. In fact, some folks that are here tonight are double miracles. Brother Jinx, you for one. Brother Jinx has been spared twice from terrible falls. I don't see Brother Joe Pino here tonight, but Brother Joe's a miracle. He had a terrible fall also. And then Brother Dan Rindris fell out of a tree with a buzzsaw in his hand and didn't turn the thing off. Now, he needs a lot of prayer, you know. If you're going to fall out of a tree with a buzzsaw, you need to turn the thing off. It's not wise to fall with a buzzsaw. But uh, God bless you, Dan. You're still alive, son, man. And um, I had this little, I had this fall on the 11th of February of last year, a little, little less than a year away. And the doctors told my family that I could have been dead, but by the grace of God, by the grace of God, Thank you, and you may be seated. Brother French, thank you for letting me say a few words. I don't take this lightly. I, I love this man. This man is right where he's supposed to be, pastoring this church. Some folks say, Brother Colart, you're a little envious. The growth church has really grown since my brother and sister French and all the other little Frenches have come. <laughs> They're good by just the Frenches coming. <laughs> no, that's not the only reason. But I am, I could not be, Sister Cole and I could not be any more happier than to see how that God has blessed our church. Yeah. Amen, I mean that. As I said, this is going to be a little different, in fact a whole lot different, but if you'll bear with me, I believe the Lord will give us something out of what I'm going to say tonight. I'm going to read a portion of Galatians chapter number one. If you want to stand, you can. If not, you maybe stay seated, whichever you feel good about. But I think we all, if one stands, that's all stand. If pastor stands, everybody stands. Galatians chapter one, verse number three. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom by glory forever and ever, amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. There's not but one gospel, amen, which is not another, but there is some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel than unto you than that which we have preached, let him or her 
be accursed. And as we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that that you have received, let him be accursed. God bless you and you may be seated. I believe this service has some, this sort of title to it, our Bible legacy. Oh, that's what I'm referring to it as our Bible legacy. Some might ask, what, what does the word legacy mean? I'm, I'm sort of glad you asked because I was going to hand it down to you. Legacy is something that handed down or left for succeeding generations from their ancestors. Let me read that again. Legacy is that which something that was handed down or left for succeeding generations from their ancestors. Amen. The apostolic message is revealed to the apostles by Jesus Christ himself. Luke said this in Luke 24, 45 through 27, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That's the gospel. That's that which must be preached. If you're saved, if I'm saved, we're going to obey the gospel. And it's not an option. You can't decide, I'll choose this way or that way. It's not me. You've got to have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I as, as I said, I'm going to approach this from a whole lot different angle. I hope not is offended by this. If you are, take it up with Brother French, and he'll, he'll get you straight, and we'll just go from there. But I'm going to talk about the man that handed down the legacy to me. The man that handed down the legacy to me. He was born on February the 22nd, 1895, just east of Tupelo, Mississippi. At the age of 22, he became dissatisfied with his old-time uh, religious experiences. He was so dissatisfied that he set out on a journey to find the real God of the Bible, which is so declared in the experience that he heard about in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Yes. Amen. And he set out on this journey to find God who is a God that's real and gracious and kind and merciful and loving. Praise God. And so he wandered about around three days in his part of your country. No, this is Mississippi. He went to Pordell area several years later. And he, he was not sure where he was going. Or how he was going to either get there, because he didn't. If he didn't know where he's going, how would he know if he got there or not? That makes makes good sense, don't it? That's right. And uh, but but God was leading him to his old place that he lived around 12 years prior to this event. He remembered a cousin who once lived in the area, and he walked back to the road, not knowing to sure what would be the next step. And the farmer passed by in a buggy, and he asked. Uh, T.C., honey, I'm going to refer to your dad as T.C. If it's not all right, it's all right. Fanny will do it anyway. <laughs> bad boy, bad boy. 
So a, a farmer passed by in a buggy and said, where are you going, son? He said, well, I, he gave me his cousin's name, and, and his, the name of his cousin was familiar to the old farmer, and he told him where he lived. And he said the family, uh, when he got there, the family was planning and having a brush harbor meeting, and it was crying cause us to stir in the community, a great stir in the community. So TC had been fasting for about three days, and, but suddenly the desire for a meal and a good night's rest invaded him because he was concerned about what's done on the inside. You know, I believe there's people today that's hungry on the inside for the things of God. I believe that with all of my heart, that the people that are desired, I want to know more about God. I want to know about his word. I want to know what it takes to go to heaven. I want to have peace and joy in my heart and in my life. I believe that's the cry of the world tonight. So many pastors is gathered there at that, at that, um, at that area. And a lot of pastors was losing members. And they were very dissatisfied. The reason they was losing them is to this new cult. These folks was preaching a different kind of message. And the more they talked, amen, as they got ready, the more excited and less hungry TC became. The service was so anointed, and I want to dwell on this for just a moment. The service was so anointed and touched as he observed, amen, the worship and the message. I'm going to tell you one thing. We are where we are tonight because of worship and because of the message. When we cease to worship, when we cease to give God the honor that's due him, when we understand that God, you are so good, and somehow worship has got to get a hold of my heart, I want to give God my very best. I want to lift my hands, my voice. I want to do everything I can. That's what it's all about. I can't understand. Listen, I, I can't understand why some folks come to church. You sit there like some of you are sitting. You think your chair's going to run off from you if you get up. That's right. Hey, if God's done for you what you think he's done for you, there ought to be a praise in your heart. There ought to be a thanksgiving in your soul. Your heart needs to, that's, that's, that's the thing that's going to drop off. Brother French, I was talking to one of our visitors this morning, one of our Spanish brothers. He may be here tonight. He said, I was so moved by the service that when I felt the spirit of almighty God. That's the thing that draws people. It's the mighty power of God. That's what causes people to understand. And then not only to worship, but the message. The message of Acts 2.38 is still real. It still works. Woo. We must not lose worship. We must not neglect the message. I said we must not do that. You may be seated. Yes, we must. Yes, we must. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Brother Montgomery enjoyed the message that night. And he wanted to go back and he went back, but he, he went with his cousin. His cousin had some small children. He felt like that he had to 
get his kids home from school the next morning. But when the next morning came around, Brother Montgomery was awakened, well, condemned for not surrendering his heart and alive to the spirit of the service. You know, it's a dangerous thing to allow a service pass and the divine touch of God come into your heart and life and you fail to respond to it. You know, you're, you're not cheating your next door neighbor. You're cheating yourself. When you don't respond and give worship to what God's done for you. I, I, now, I was fixing to say this. I say it, but I'm going to say it. I won't say it. So if you can figure that out, that's good. Everybody ought to have a near-death experience. That's, that's, that's lovely to say that in. You know... I'm not pastor now. Brother Fritz, if I get out of the way, if you can catch me, you can set me down. <laughs> but you got to catch me first. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not hard to catch tonight. But it was so moved with what was in his, what he felt in his heart and his life. Amen. What with a heavy burden, amen, to, to go home. And unbeknownst to him, as he came up to his old homestead, his dad had just passed away that morning. And his heart was heavy, very heavy. But T.C. went back to the altar a few days later and received the spirit of the Holy Ghost in his heart and life. He was so touched by, he had not yet had the revelation of the name of Jesus. Praise But let me tell you what the Holy Ghost does. The Holy Ghost leads you into the revelation of his name. That's right. But a few days after, and I'm going I'm to try to hurry because I'm just on page three and got about ten more to go. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you might better loosen your belt some more. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, a few months, a few months. In fact, it was six months later after he was uh, got the. Holy Ghost baptism. He was drafted into World War One, and the army was not really overly impressed with his zeal and his newfound faith. And they were determined. And Brother Montgomery was a CEO, a conscientious objector, and there's just some things that his conscience would not allow him to do, and he wasn't going to do it at all, no matter what the cost may be. And so he determined. Even they determined to destroy the zeal that was in his heart and his life. I'm talking about the legacy. The legacy. I'm talking about that which has brought us up to this point tonight. Praise God. And that which brought us up to this point tonight will carry us on if we'll walk therein. Amen. And so they not only didn't like his zeal, but they took his Bible from him. Then they trumped up some charges against him to try to get him to deny his faith and, and do the things that they're asking him to do. And two or three of the things that they asked him to do was to bear arms. Well, he was a conscientious objector. He, was, he, wasn't, he wasn't against bearing arms, but he, he was against killing. And he said, I cannot bear arms. I will not bear arms. And so that, that didn't sit so well with them. They got really upset about that. And then the next thing they got upset about, when I understand I had never been in the service, but they want to give you a bunch of shots. 
And he didn't, he didn't want no shots. He said, no, you ain't gonna give me no shots. I'm not taking those pills. I'm not taking no shots. I don't want them, just don't, don't want them at all. And then the next thing, the guys that said, hey, the, you know, the guy in charge said, hey, we're gonna have a, a lecture at the uh, auditorium, or whatever you want to call it. Or, or, I think they first of all said a movie. And TC said, ah, no, I'm not going to no movie. No, I don't, don't believe in movies. And we don't believe in movies either, do we? Could I ask that one more time? We don't believe in movies either, do we? If you didn't get that message, I'm going to say it again. We don't believe in movies either today. Now, that's, now Brother Fletch wants you to go to movies? No, sir. No, you can't go. So they said, they said now listen, TC, if you just come, we're just going to have a lecture, and that's all we're going to do, just going to lecture. And so he said, well, if you're just going to lecture, I'll, I'll go. I don't mind being lectured to because he wanted to obey everything they do except taking up arms, taking medicine, and he didn't want to go to movies. That's all. He didn't want to do that. He didn't do anything else. And so they, uh, they got him. He went in, got down the middle, uh, middle of one of the pews of the seats, and, and uh, they gave the lecture, and then the lights went out. And the movie came on. And then Brother Montgomery said, oh, mercy, they won't do. So he laid his head on front of the, the seat that was in front of him, and he started praying. He said, I, I, can't, I can't pray this way. You know, i got to get down on my knees to pray. And so he, he turned around and slid down, got on his knees and started praying. Boy, did he pray. Pray, pray, pray. And, and suddenly they felt it. He felt a touch on his shoulder, and the guy said, hey, hey, Montgomery, get up. We're going to talk to you. So you sure do pray loud. You sure, you, you sure holler loud when you pray. He said, yeah, I know. You see, God's a long way from this place. <laughs> and this, this infuriated them. They didn't, they didn't like that at all. And so let me, this next part is, is it's really, I almost shake when I think about it. The next part, the, the, the guy that's in charge said, Hey, Montgomery, because you're rebelling against some of the things that we want you to do, we're going we're gonna to take you to the firing squad, and we're going to shoot you. And so they did. They took him to the firing squad and, and stood him up there where they lined up to get shot. And, and they said, uh, Montgomery, you got anything you want to say? And while he was thinking, the old guy that's in charge says, all right, soldiers, guards, get ready. And, well, Montgomery, what do you want to say? He said, I want you to send my body home to mama. If you're going to shoot me, if you're going to kill me, take my body home to mama. And suddenly the guy that's in charge said, oh, Montgomery, we can't shoot you. You ain't done nothing that's that bad that you need to be shot. But you see, here's a man that's willing to put his life on the line. Willing to put his life on the line. I thought, Lord, somehow tonight, God needs to help us to come to that realization, amen, that we need to be willing to lay our life down for the cause of Christ. Amen, amen. You see, they had assigned him, didn't they assign him hard labor, busting up rock. 
And I, I would assume those of you that busted a rock, I'm sure it's a pretty hard job. And um, so they sent him to Kansas, Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, to break up Brit and Glock, you know, the sledgehammer. And, and it was cold. It was cold in Kansas. And so he just, you know what? Brother Montgomery, he did the very best that he could. He, he would break, if they said, break up this pile of rock, then he'd just sit out and he'd break it, break them up. And the guards got to notice him. He said that when the guards would leave, Brother Montgomery would just, he, he'd beat up everything they asked him to do. But the other guys, when the guards leave, they would quit because it was cold. Let me, let me stop here for just a minute. If you get paid for eight hours work, you need to do, do need, you need to work eight hours. What about you? I'm not, not clapping your hands. You, don't, you believe in messing around when the boss is not around? You mean sitting down and crossing your legs and drinking your coffee and your, your latte? I'm not sure what latte is. It don't sound good to me. But uh, listen, if you're going to get paid to do a certain thing, you need to do it. You don't need to back up. You need to just be a good, you need to be a, <coughs> you need to be a worker. You need to be an honest worker. And so Brother McGovern, the guy in the boiler room got sent home or something happened. And so they put Brother McGovern in the boiler room. And there in the boiler room, he could read his Bible. He could pray. He could just do about anything he wanted to. And they still do the chores that he was in, told to do. And so he was so faithful in that which he did do. Finally, the local congressman in Tupelo found out about his mother being real sick. And so she called, he called the authorities in Washington and said that if he could discharge a T.C. Montgomery because his mother is at a point of death and not doing well. And, and they, they, they did, they returned him home to his mother. Amen. So when Brother Montgomery returned to his farm that his family owned to care for his aging mother, and the revelation of the full apostolic message came to his life. And he was obeyed. He obeyed it by being baptized in Jesus' name. He, he, he reached town, his hometown, just after his departure. And he received the revelation during his boiler break time. When he got to, hey, it's, it's dangerous to read the Bible. If you, don't know what's, you, if you don't know what's right, read the Bible. The Bible will tell you exactly what you need to do. Praise God. And so he received the revelation. So he was ready to take his next step of the legacy. And shortly after his arrival home, even his prayer time, he began to feel the call to the ministry. He felt a, a definite call to the ministry. One day, a friend from Pontotoc, Brother Lester Partey, some of you know him, I've heard of him, he called Brother Montgomery and explained his burden for Georgia. And Brother Partey asked him about the revelation of his name. And he witnessed, and the Spirit fell on, as the Spirit fell on family and friends. And a 13-year-old young lady named Katie Smith, who later became Katie Pope, received the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And, and, and tonight... We, we have part of that family. And I want those, those of you that are kin to Katie Pope to stand. 
And if you're ashamed of it, I'm going to tell her when I see her. Thank you. And not only that, but this message got so strong that it went down in the South Georgia and got a hold of Sister Beverly Pope's uh, mom and dad, and they became stalwart carrier of the legacy of this great message of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Praise God. So you see, it's just awesome to think about how God will touch lives and hearts and work out plans for their lives. Amen. And I, 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 you know, I think after his receiving the revelation and he got rid of the farm, they finally convinced him to come to Georgia. And of course, there's been some preachers already come to Georgia for him. And uh, God gave a mighty miracle of the revival of the name of the Georgia with miracles signs and wonders. I'm telling you, friend, God's still a sign and miracle worker. Hey, God's still a healer. God's still here. Let, let, me, let, let, let me ask you this. Oh, mercy. I can do it better that way. I'm sorry. Let me ask you this. I thought about this this afternoon. How many of you believe in signs and wonders and miracles? Let me ask you this. How many of you here tonight need a miracle in your life? Come on now. Come on. How many of you really need a miracle in your life? I wonder how many of you would jump up out of your seat and say, start thinking for a miracle that's going to happen in your life. I mean, how many would do that? Just come on, out loud, out loud. Come on, do it. Everybody, everybody, everybody. That's it. Come on, everybody, everybody. Hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God, thank you, that's it. Come on. Thank you for it. Thank you for the miracle. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, thank you so much. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, I'm not through. If you thought that was the end, no, that's just the beginning. Amen. But I, I hadn't, won't hold you much longer. So there came a great revival down in this part of the country with signs and wonders. And Satan got stirred because many of the church leaders and many doctors in the Porterdale, Newton County area started losing patience because so many people were getting healed. Isn't that wonderful? And the preachers were losing members because they were getting the Holy Ghost and started attending the apostolic churches. 
So they got they got sort of discouraged about that and said, maybe we got we got to get rid of this this stuff that's going on this this new issue message, this repentance and baptism in Jesus' name, this infilling of the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues, living righteous and holy and godly, and that's part of the legacy too, ladies and gentlemen. Holiness is still a part of the legacy. I'm going to tell you one more time. Holiness is still a part of the legacy. We must still preach it and teach it. <coughs> well, about 10 of you believe that. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. So they said, uh, we got to do something about this guy here. So they found out where he was rooming somewhere down in Newton County. And some of the men went up to him, took him and threw him in a car and took him down by the Yellow River and uh, told him to take his coat off. So he took his coat off and he saw this six and they whipped him, beat him. And so he laid across a tree trunk and then they started just really undoubtedly just, I mean, just, Brother Jones thought they was going to shoot him and throw him in the river. But uh, they didn't. And he, they, as he felt the blows that was coming, pain shooting through his body, his prayer, at first he started praying, amen, for these men that was beating him. But he soon shifted his pr prayer to a plea for strength to endure. Amen. And as he felt the belt buckles and the buggy whips made mincemeat out of his back, His only testimony was this, that he only felt the first few licks. Then it was as if he'd had a shot of some kind of painkiller. He felt no pain. The man gave him, gave him some money with tears in their eyes and told him to catch a train back to Mississippi. The ministry did not need, want him there. They gave him his suitcase. He brought him from his room and put him out and left him to walk. He was rescued by some of the old new converts, some of the converts in the newfound church. Amen. And they took him back to his room. Now, some of you may not believe this, but that's, that's going to be your problem. I happened to see his back. The last two years of his life, he lived with us. His back looked like a, a spaghetti factory. Just stripes after stripes after stripes. They said that when they took him and tried to clean him up, and said they had to get eye tweezers to pull the, to pull the shirt threads, threads out of his back. And, and just, it was very painful. And they washed and cleaned him up. And there was something that wanted to be baptized. And they said, taste the bug and gummy, don't, don't baptize him. You're getting that old yellow river and that water's so dirty and nasty. Infection was set up. He said, listen, these folks have got to be baptized. If they're going to be saved, they're going to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, folks, if you're going to be saved, you'll be baptized in Jesus' name. Praise God. And tonight will be a good night for you to get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, old-time religion. When he finished the baptism that day, the waters predicted to cause infection through his body brought healing, amen, and scars instead. 
And as I said, I saw them myself. And you know, Brother Montgomery was not a man, a, lot of, a few of you knew him, but he was not a very pretentious man. He didn't go around bragging about being beaten. He didn't brag about being, having stripes on his back. But he suffered because of this great, wonderful message. This legacy that I'm part of. I know I'm at the latter end of my lifetime. I know that. But listen, folks, we got to stand for this truth. be seated. The revival that started that day continues to this day all over the state of Georgia. Yes, amen. And it affected thousands and amen, either directly or indirectly to this day. Amen. We have folks in this church, myself included, and my wife included, the Popes and the Strons and the Rossers, and I'm not sure who else here might have been affected by it. Even indirectly, some of you have been affected either through your parents or grandparents. Amen. This, this, I'll tell you, this message works. It, it is. It's good, good for you. Amen. And after, the, after years of, and I'm, I'm winding down. I'm just right about 30 minutes from being through. Amen. I'm wound up pretty tight. No, I'm just joking. No, I'm not. But after many years of evangelistic and pastoral efforts, God called him to the saving of children. And I won't dwell too long on this. But he had a great burden, and I, I wish I could have had, had the time to talk about how this came about in his life. But he developed a love for ch children and set out on his own to start a, a home for homeless children. And so he started organizing, talking to different ones, and he finally got approval from the state of Georgia, the United Pentecostal Church, to, to go in the field to solicit funds, and he went and worked real hard, and he organized and traveled and raised funds and for the Tupelo Children's Mansion in his own hometown. Only God knows the real full story or of one of he and his wife's sacrifice to reach the unwanted, the neglected children in our society. He started out from this church here, from the church here in Atlanta. He's, he had $1,000 he was going to use for personal expense to get him started, and then the church gave him $900. He visited other churches in the district to raise funds for only a dream that he had in his heart and his life. He traveled mostly by himself, and his wife stayed home and prayed for him day and night. Listen to this now. Boy, I'm almost ashamed to say this. I got at home I got a nice comfortable bed. Just it's almost saying, hurry home, Dad. And uh some of y'all catch that after a while. But <clears throat> Brother Montgomery. It'd be many nights he would not sleep in his car. I mean, he would sleep in his car because he wanted to save money to build that home for orphan kids. Many times he would stop by the roadside by a creek or by a body of running water 
and he would take a bath and wash and shave and cook his meals on a Coleman stove. Amen. That's the legacy of a man I'm talking to you about tonight. A man that knew what it meant to sacrifice. A man that really was concerned about reaching lives and hearts and souls, praise God. And results as a multi-million dollar outfit plant in Tupelo, Mississippi that has housed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids just like this because a man had a desire to do the things that would be pleasing to the Lord and that's a try to take care of children. Brother <coughs> Montgomery later, who was, who was my first pastor, became the first district superintendent of the state of Georgia. He left me a godly legacy. This year, we celebrate the 50th year of Apostolic Tabernacle. We had pastored our second church. We pastored for one year in Griffin, and then we went to Athens and pastored for four years. And I felt, began to feel a God calling me to make a change. And I had been battling with it for quite some time. And one day I said to my wife, Hey, babe. That's what I call my wife, babe. <laughs> it wouldn't hurt some of you men to start calling your wife sweet names, too. <laughs> Did you hear me, Alan? But I was battling it in prayer. I said, honey, I, I, I feel a calling for us to build a home missions church in the Atlanta area. And she responded, oh, no. Nowhere except Atlanta. Anywhere except Atlanta. Well, you know, when the boss speaks, she just has to. But she happened not to be the boss. <laughs> the church at Athens was good to me, and they took care of us the best they could. But the economy got real bad, and I had to. I was full time in Athens, and I had to find a job. And, I found a job, but they told me that if I worked for them, that I'd have to quit my job. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And so we prayed on a while longer. And uh, we got down to things got sort of slow. I, I've told this part of the story for a long time, for many times. We, we got down to one can of bean and bacon soup with three kids and a mama and a daddy. That's all we had, one camel's bean and bacon soup. So you know how we made it extended? We just added a lot of water to it. That does make soup go further when you put a lot of water in it. So we had the three kids there. And so she and I figured it was a good, good day to fast. 
a good day to fast. And so we did. God was gracious to us. A goodly neighbor of ours had killed a deer and gave us part of it, and it was very good. And we still asked that we still like deer meat. Hint, hint. Suddenly one day, my wife said, babe, and this is a little graphic, but I'm, I'm sure all of you will understand. Said, honey, I, I felt a lump in my right breast. And it doesn't, it hurts, and I don't know what to do about it. And of course, we didn't have no insurance and didn't have a lot of money, in fact, no money. But she got hurting pretty bad, and so she shared it with uh, somebody in the church, one of the ladies in the church, and told her sister so-and-so, I've got a lump in my breast, and it, it really is hurting. This sister said, well, you know, I, I've had that same problem. Had to go to the doctor, and she said, I also know another lady that had it, and she died. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Unless you got something that somebody died with. But she just uh, held on to God, and the Lord just was so good to help us. She... I finally told her, I said, babe, I'm going to Atlanta to find a job. But in the meanwhile, I uh, developed, a, and I know this thing don't sound good either, but God help us. I had a, on my belt line, I had a sore. It was a mole. And it developed into something not very nice. So we had to, it had to be dressed twice a day. And so we prayed about it and prayed about it. And, but let me, let me just make this story a little bit shorter. When we decided to do what God called us to do, that's to come to Atlanta and start a home mission church. God healed me of that dope on my back. God healed my wife's breast. You see, God is just real. I found a job. Amen. God just opened up ways, and, and it was just, a, just it was awesome to see how God was doing some wonderful things for us. Praise God. And so when we, when we came to the place that we, we had really decided we were going to come to Atlanta, Somehow, Brother Kenneth Pope found out about it. I don't know how he found out, Brother Kenneth. But he found out that uh, we was coming to Atlanta, and he went to the, the Boulder Crest Church. Brother Upton was his pastor. But he found a church that was Felice for $125 a month. I mean, a nice church. It had stained glass windows. Boy, it, in its day, it was a, it was a nice church. Close to downtown Atlanta and little five points, and and he 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 could get that building for a hundred, I think a hundred hundred twenty five dollars. I don't know I don't know what he wanted with it. Yeah, I don't. He might have wanted to start a church. I don't know. But anyway, he said, Brother Cole, I understand that y'all want me to come to Atlanta to start a church, and 
he said that uh, I, I, I leased this building. I don't really know why. I, I think that's what he said. I don't know why I leased it, but y'all can have it to start a church here. I said, Lord, that's wonderful. Just awesome. And he said, not only that, if you ever get to the place that you need to work a little bit, and he's a, he he's used to be a paint contractor. Now he's just a goofer offer. He don't do nothing. Just, he, sits, he sits back and spends all of his money now. And so he said, any time you need to work, Brother Cole, and I did, I worked for him. He always treated me fair. Praise God, always treated me fair. And so then on top of that, nothing was going to happen. We had no place to move. And it so happened at that particular time, Brother Upton, the pastor at, at Boulder Crest, had his own house, and their parsonage was for rent. And so they let us rent the parsonage. And so we moved into a, a nice home, moved into a nice church, into a nice job. Isn't God good? You know, with the Lord working like that, we couldn't doubt his call. We really couldn't. After we got back to Atlanta, it was an amazing story happened that Sister Cole had a very, a very good job before we left the first time. She worked for the former mayor of Atlanta, who was a, also a state senator and a retired lieutenant colonel from the Army. And she had, a, she had worked for him before she went to Athens and had a chance to work for him again as his personal secretary because his secretary was retiring. So God just opened up that door and uh, I, got, I found two jobs and uh, she worked one job, I worked two jobs. We opened up a Coles loan office. Brother Turner, you'll catch you in a few minutes. God was good to us to help us because I, I had a philosophy, brother Frank, that I, I believe in paying bills. I believe in paying my bills on time. I hate interest. It's a curse. If you pay interest, it's a curse. Sister McBroom believes that. So I, I and work three, every how many jobs it would take to pay the church bills. And to pay our bills, I was willing to do it. She was willing to do it. We had to, we had a house full of kids, and just a, it was just a something else. But God was good to us. Yeah. Amen. So, in 1981, we felt uh, to start a Christian school. So some of our parents, we got together with them and. We desired, desired to start a Christian school, and uh, Brother Jack Ollis had a school, an American school system, and Brother Ollis was not well in his body physically, and he, he was wanting to step aside, and uh, we, we liked the building, we liked the location, and so we come to terms, his, his trustees and our trustees got together, and he had no retirement at all, no income. So we worked out some kind of deal that he would get a retirement income from the sale of the church. And 
it all worked out real good. So we're we rocking it on pretty good. And uh, God is blessing. God is good to us. But one day, God was doing such a good work, and we was all happy for several years. However, when God's children are the happiest, Satan begins to get a little bit upset. Satan begins to get upset just a little bit. And so we had, uh, we had a nice student body. We had a, a good school, some good staff members, qualified people that was qualified to teach. And, but one day, um, somebody told me that one of our young boys had inadvertently, in a, in a time of playing in a game, inadvertently touched a, a young girl, much younger than he. He, he was just as young himself, touched her on, on, the back, on her backslide. And uh, so she went home, and she was, wasn't very old herself, but she went home and told her dad, and her dad came to me, and I said, well, okay, I'll, t I'll tell you what, I'll handle it. He said, oh, no, let me handle it. So I said, listen, we, we got to handle this thing. So in a few days, one of the men in the church called me and said, Brother Cole, I got something I need to show you. It's a note that somebody brought by today, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll I don't know if I saw the next service we had or that very day, but he brought me the note and it, and it read, we will settle this lawsuit for $2 million. I thought $2 million. Which bank should I get it out of? That wasn't hard to figure out. Neither bank, none of the banks could really do that. So I went, I, I'll be honest with you, and I hate to admit this, I shouldn't. I almost went into shock. He made this statement. He told this trustee, we're going we're gonna to destroy Brother Cole's family. We're going to destroy you as a member of the trustee board plus all the rest of the trustees. We're going to destroy that church. We're going to bless it. And he was the kind of person that would do such a thing, blast it over if he could get somebody to listen to him over the news reports and different things. And, and so I, I got real paranoid about that. And so the thing that really bothered me was this. You know, I, I didn't really want to go to jail. To be honest with you, I didn't. I didn't want my wife to go. But our son, Philip, Philip was still at home at that time. And I said, well, you know, who's going to take care of Philip? You know, and, and every time my office at home was, is, is in front of the house and I can see every car that pulls by and, and I thought every car passed by, I thought it was going to be a policeman that's going to stop and come pick me and my wife up. And, and I, I kept running through my mind, what are we going to do about Philip if they pick us up? Who's going to take care of Philip? <laughs> you know, that doesn't affect you, but it affected us. But you see, the legacy that's been handed down, Brother Watts, was that God would take care of us. God would take care of us if we just take care of his business, that God would take care of our business. So, today, the Cole family is still intact. 
Our trustee board is still intact. Our church is alive and well and growing. I don't think I've ever, you may be seated. I don't think I've ever, I'm fixing the clothes, you may be seated. I don't think I ever told Brother Fritz this, but through this church, there's six churches in Georgia that's pastored by men that's come through this church. I mean, it's, it's five, not six, but there's five churches that's been built by this church, four in El Salvador, two in, in Africa, and we put a roof on a church in Russia. So this church is very much alive. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Brother French, I pledge to you my loyalty to you and your family. Hallelujah. That's the legacy that's been handed down to me. I'm going to ask you this tonight, church. I know this has been unusual, not, not much anointing at all, but I felt it in my heart, and I hope you heard my heart. I hope you heard my heart. <laughs> Brother Morrell, you and your church is part of this, too. That's right. I'm indebted to Kenneth. I, oh, Brother Kenneth, would you mind just standing? Where's Brother Buck? Brother Buck, hello, standing up, Brother Buck. That's Brother Barrett. You know, y'all don't know Buck. Buck's his name. That's why we just go. These these two men. These two men. Just keep standing for just a minute. Keep standing, Brother Buck. Amen. These two men are the men that got me in church. I lived, I lived in the neighborhood of, of 967 South Pryor Street, and they lived on Pryor Street, and I lived on Tudor Street. Tudor is one of the most famous streets in Georgia. Yes, that's a famous street. I, the, the gullies were so deep in the road, you could almost lose a car in it. But Brother Kenneth, and I, I say that respectfully, Brother Kenneth Pope, Brother Baron Pope, thank you for let me go to church with y'all. You could have ignored me and let me go by the way. I wasn't, I wasn't from a famous family. I, have a good, I had a good mom and a daddy. They was precious to me, but we wasn't famous. We weren't nothing. We didn't have anything. I never owned a bicycle. Had a pair of skates one time. But these two men, I don't know what they saw in me. I don't think they saw nothing. Just somebody that liked to play ball. That's all I liked to play ball. Daddy didn't teach me how to fish, didn't teach me how to hunt, but he taught me how to play ball. I played ball in high school. I was a third baseman in Marietta Senior High and played county ball two games a week. And, boy, you could almost see your name in the headline. Oh, B.S. Cole, four home runs in one game. In fact, I went and tried out for the Pittsburgh Pirates one time. You may be seeing. I went and tried out for the Pittsburgh Pirates. It took me about a half an hour to figure out I wasn't no ball player. 